True crime fans have done so much to bring attention to cold cases. Some just like the genre as a whole, and some, like today's guest, are drawn to one particular case. But not many will spend years of their life trying to sort through the red herrings and confusion caused by people who seem determined to keep a cold case cold. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. I'm so happy that you've joined me for another compelling true crime story where we'll look at physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways. This is Season 5, Episode 7. The book I chose to talk about this week is The Girl I Never Knew, Who Killed Melissa Witt? And our guest is its author, LaDonna Humphrey. We'll check in with her after we investigate this case. We'll also talk about ideas for how anyone can be what I like to call a different kind of PI. Not a private investigator like me or LaDonna, but a person of impact in your community. LaDonna Humphrey never met Melissa Witt, but she feels like she knows her. She spent over seven years searching for the man who killed Melissa. It started, oddly enough, in a way because of O.J. Simpson. It was 1995, and LaDonna was tuned in to an update on the Simpson case when the radio station she had on announced that a body had been found in the Ozark National Forest. Authorities thought that it might be the body of a missing 19-year-old woman from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Her name was Melissa Witt. Now, LaDonna wasn't just drawn in by the circumstances of Melissa's death, but by the unfinished potential of her life. Since then, LaDonna has spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours, poring over all the details of Melissa's case, working with police, interviewing witnesses, and she even developed a documentary about Melissa's case in addition to this book. Before we talk with her, let's investigate some of the details of Melissa's case ourselves. On December 1st, 1994, Melissa Witt and her mom, Marianne, had the type of minor tiff that most of us have had with our moms, or maybe with our kids, when we or they were 19 years old. Marianne felt bad about it, and so she left Melissa a note promising that she would buy her dinner if Melissa wanted to join her at the bowling alley where she belonged to a league and would be bowling that night. But Melissa never met with her mother. Marianne wasn't too worried when she got home and Melissa wasn't there, but at 9 a.m. the next morning, she called the police. Once the officer who responded to that call found out that Marianne and Melissa had had a minor spat, he decided, with no other information to base this on that I can see, that Melissa was missing voluntarily because she just needed to blow off some steam. It was a terrible miscalculation, and with no help coming from the authorities yet, Marianne began her own search. What she didn't know yet was that Melissa's car was at the bowling alley, even though Melissa wasn't. When they found that out, that got the police's attention. Even though Melissa's disappearance triggered one of the largest missing person investigations in Arkansas's history, and family and friends distributed flyers and put up billboards asking if anyone knew anything, Melissa would not be found for six long weeks. Her body was discovered by two hunters in the Ozark National Forest, 45 miles from Fort Smith, and the bowling alley where her car was found. Investigators still receive leads from time to time, and they still interview anyone with information. 20 years after Melissa's death, 
LaDonna began creating this documentary about the circumstances surrounding her disappearance, the investigation, and the fact that the case was still unsolved. That journey led her way beyond that amazing documentary that she's made. And I've put a link to where you can find that on YouTube, and I guarantee you, you'll be fascinated, so make sure you go watch it. LaDonna's passion for seeing Melissa's case solved inspired her to become a private investigator and to partner with a retired detective to keep the hunt for Melissa's killer as active as possible. LaDonna's going to tell us about her years of work alongside J.C. Ryder and others. Now, on a little side note here, I wish more law enforcement officials would welcome that help that a dedicated PI could give them. Let's talk if you're one of those officials. We're also going to explore how damaging the rumor mill is to any case, but especially cold cases, and try to imagine the additional devastation for a family like Melissa's to hear some of these crackpot theories that people are sharing, sometimes trying to insert themselves into the case. One woman insisted that Melissa's death was tied to political corruption, gambling, the case of a missing child, and some other things that we don't have time to get into all of it. She claimed that she had proof, but she could never show it to LaDonna, saying that it just wasn't safe for her to do so. Tips were pouring in about other offenders, and those tipsters were sure that those men must have been involved. One had been a counselor at a church camp. Okay, people, this is why we have to run background checks for anybody working with kids in our churches. This guy had done a lot of terrible things, but it's not likely that he killed Melissa. Using social media to try to get more tips, LaDonna opened herself up to a lot of hate and a lot of online harassment. But she did get some good information, mixed in with people claiming that it was their ex-husband or someone Melissa dated or who knows what else. So the big question is this, will we ever know who killed Melissa Witt? I can tell you this, LaDonna isn't going to stop until she finds out. We're going to check in with this investigative journalist, documentarian, philanthropist, private investigator in just a minute. But first, I want to remind you that I'm on a mission to see a revival sparked by churches genuinely safeguarding not just physical safety, but the emotional and spiritual safety of their congregations and communities as well. I've worn multiple hats church staffer, church security team member, domestic violence court paralegal, private investigator, and I've seen so much. Now I want to come alongside church leaders and help you craft customized safety blueprints that will fit your church's unique needs and will account for your unique resources and culture. I'm not just here to talk, I'm here to walk with you. I'm in this for the long haul. I attend live trainings, I'm constantly learning and studying, and I will bring that knowledge back to you. If you're interested, let's chat. Set up a call today and we'll investigate your needs together. Just send me an email at lori at theunlovelytruth.com to get the ball rolling. Because church safety isn't just a job for me, it's my passion. And I'm looking forward to helping you make your church a true sanctuary. LaDonna, I'm so excited for you to be here because I really did enjoy reading this book. I think that it's important to highlight unsolved cases, but I loved how your story grew with her story. 
Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Honored. Thank you for inviting me. And also, thank you for reading my book. I'm very passionate about the Witt case. Every single time a person says, hey, I read your book. And so, yeah, thank you for that. And, you know, I, I did try to make it a journey for the reader to understand that it was not just Melissa's case. It was this girl that she never knew that came along decades later that wanted to get her justice, because I think that's as much of the story as anything else. And I think it's been interesting. People have really embraced that. One of the things that really drew me into the case, that this was someone you didn't know, yet her story resonated with you so much. It changed the trajectory of your life because that's how I started out. Just a cold case in my area. The the girl really stuck with me because she was about the same age and kind of looked like my oldest daughter. And then that put me on the path eventually to become a PI myself. So, you know, let everybody know you've invested a lot of years and time in this case. So tell us a little bit more about how it's grown over the years for you. So when this started, we were wrapping up a nonprofit I'd been running for a decade and a half that was providing services to families that had missing loved ones. And we wanted to finish strong as we were closing out that nonprofit. And so many of us had a degree in journalism. There was, you know, studies in journalism. And so we decided to do this documentary. And I thought we were going to do a documentary on the plight of missing adults. They outvoted me. They wanted to cover the Witt case. I was passionately against it. It's not an unsolved missing persons case. I mean, she was found murdered. But they sent me to the police department. I interviewed detectives. And by the time detectives took me out to the scene where Melissa's body was found, my life was completely changed. And so that snowballed into this documentary. I poured my heart and soul into this and started interviewing everybody that I could. And that turned into me kicking up some new information in the case, giving that to police, and then building this relationship with retired investigators. We got slowed down because of COVID. You can't do filming during COVID. And so I said to myself, I'll just write a book. That It was just really, that's how it happened. And I didn't even have it written, but I started pitching the idea to different publishers. And a couple of them said, hey, this could be interesting. And so the rest was history. I never set out to do any of those things, but it just seemed like the next natural thing. I've spent eight, nine years of my life on this. That's longer than some marriages, so. Good point. Before we dive more into the investigation book and the documentary, tell us a little about Melissa herself, because I think it's so easy to forget about the humanity of that victim. Because most of us, when we see the documentary, we read the book, we don't meet them like you until after they're already missing or deceased. So what you've learned about her, tell us who Melissa was. I love that you asked that question because that is important to me to share that because she was more than just what happened to her. And Melissa was a very happy very happy young woman. She was in college. She wanted to be a dental hygienist. She was working as a dental hygienist and loved that job, loved to tell jokes. She didn't have any enemies. She was just a friend to everybody, and she really was. I mean, she was embraced by a community. I mean, her church community, her school community, 
just friendships at work. She liked to laugh. She liked to help others. She loved her family. And she just wanted to make this world a better place. And I've had the unique opportunity to read her diary. So I know some of her innermost thoughts. She was a really good person, very innocent, very naive, and was so looking forward to having a career and a family and her own house. She talks about how she would paint her house and the kind of flowers she would paint. And just a remarkable young woman, someone that I think I would have really enjoyed getting to know. These kind of crimes can happen to anybody. A lot of times we think about, well, I don't live a high-risk life or that doesn't happen in my neighborhood or my community. But it does. It absolutely does. Melissa lived the most low-risk life you could imagine. She had a job, a good job. She had classes at the University of Fort Smith. She was very involved in her church. She was there every Sunday when the doors were open and every Wednesday night. She told her mom where she was going to be and when she was going to be there. She was responsible. She was not hanging around the wrong crowd. She was really like this all-American sweetheart. She'd been a cheerleader, all of those things. And so there was nothing in her life that would indicate trouble or danger. And that's what I think is so heartbreaking about this case, because she was just so naive. I sometimes think about how horrible this was for her as this crime was taking place, because this was not anything she was accustomed to or even would have really known about because of her life being so sheltered. So I think, I think that makes this even worse in a sense. And I don't tell these stories to scare people, but I want people to understand what we're facing out in the world and how we can better protect ourselves, not to imply any kind of blame that Melissa did anything wrong. But for this particular case, it really struck me, and I don't want to dog on the police a whole bunch here, But there were some mistakes made early on, like not taking her disappearance seriously, thinking that a minor tiff with her mother meant that there was no reason to look into it. So when someone you love is missing, what are some of the first things that we have to know to do to really work with the police? They can't do everything. They can't be everywhere. So What can we do? How can we be prepared? It's really important that the police understand the full scope of that person's life. Make sure that they understand that leaving home was not something that they had done before or would do, how responsible they were. And make sure that they get that viewpoint from from everyone. I mean, in Melissa's case, it was her mom, her friends, and the community that eventually came together and said, if you're not going to look for her, then we will. And so that's what they did. And that's how the major crimes unit ended up getting involved in this case. You also have to remember that things are so different now than they were in the 90s. We've got Mm, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that actually has extended services to age 21. We didn't have that then. We also know that these kind of crimes are actually more prevalent than we even knew back then. The approach to these cases are different on a national level anyway because of the time and the things that we've learned over the years. But I think to answer your question fully, it comes back down to communication. I found in every case that I've ever worked that that's what is key. And that's usually where the breakdown is. And so 
you know, if you're too emotional or upset to be able to relay that information, then it's really important that you have somebody there with you that can be calm and cool and collected and share all of those details with law enforcement so they know that this is a critical situation. That is a huge point that I want everybody to wrap your brain around. We don't like to ask for help, but in a situation like this, you're going to need all the help you can possibly get. Mary Ann, who was Melissa's mother, and Melissa were very soft-spoken people. And I think that was part of the issue, too. I'm sort of a loudmouth. And I would have been, no, 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 you know, this is, you know, my child, you've got to start looking for her. But, you know, Mary Ann was really naive. When she didn't see that Melissa had shown up at the bowling alley that night, she didn't go and look for her car there because she just thought she didn't go there. Of course, you and I, knowing what we know now about cases, that would have been the first place that we would go. Yeah. So I think it's just a different approach. But if you are that kind of a meek person and you're that emotional or that you're just not able to, yes, ask for help. Get your loudmouth friend, your sister, your cousin, your brother. Go call LaDonna Humphrey. You know, I'll help. So, you know, in all seriousness, I, I think that if that officer had truly understood the situation, it could have been handled differently. And I'm also going to throw out there, because I'm so passionate about church safety, the same thing can happen in churches. People can bring up an incident, we're hesitant to bring it up maybe because of what it is or because of of the surroundings. It gets downplayed, people don't listen. If you've got an issue, keep talking about it until somebody takes you seriously. It's always better to err on the side of too much than not enough. Because you can't go back and undo it. That's a regret I have for this case. I think it would have brought closure quicker for the Witt family. Her mom went so long waiting to find out where Melissa was. You did a great job bringing out in this book something that I've seen in so many other cases. When rumors and conspiracy theories start flying... Do you think that people understand just how damaging that kind of stuff can be to actually getting a case solved, not to mention how hurtful that is to the family? You know, I think by nature, us humans are always looking for someone to blame, right? And I think to make sense of a tragedy, it's easier to put that blame on the victim. I mean, we see victim shaming all the time, especially with women. Oh, she was sexually assaulted? Well, what was she wearing? Oh, Mm. Melissa couldn't have just been kidnapped from the bowling alley. It means that she must be involved with drugs. It was detrimental to the case. It was hurtful to the family. And it's something that has made me absolutely outraged because I want people to learn from that mistake. If you don't know, you should not say it. This is someone's life that is in the balance, potentially, or a family who is grieving a horrendous loss. Even if those things had been true about Melissa, that was not the venue or the way to handle it. But I think, unfortunately, we humans, all of us, that's just how we're geared. Until you're in that situation, I guess it's hard for people to understand how awful that is. There's always someone who then takes it even A further step really kicks into high gear, those internet trolls. I've had cases where people will say, I'll tell you what happened to your loved one if you'll send me naked pictures of yourself. That's awful. And that just always shocks people. But this happens in, I would say, the vast majority of cases. You had a particularly interesting troll on this case. Tell us a little more about Sandy. 
Sandy has been a thorn in my side and in law enforcement side. She is the busy body of cold cases, is what I call her. And I think that she means well and she's excited to solve a cold case. But I think that ultimately her motives are so hideous. It just comes across in such a damaging way. We continue to have to deal with her and we have dealt with her for years. And the sad thing is it's not unique. This happens in so many cold cases, but she is really fixated on this case for some reason. We are now taking legal measures against her. That's how far she's taken it. I've learned a lot. Sandons has taught me a lot, mainly about who I don't want to be. What? I was going to ask you, what has been your hardest lesson from this case? We learn a lot from those cases. So aside from Sandy, what has been the hardest thing that you've learned from this, the last seven, eight years that you've worked this case? I think it really boils down to not getting overly excited about a lead that you think could be the answer to the case. That has been a huge lesson for me. We've got several leads that have come in that have just looked so good. And then you've got the letdown and that's really difficult in a cold case. And I've had to really learn that this is not, you know, a sprint (laughs) at all. This is a marathon. And it's been hard. I've had to learn patience. I've had to learn how to keep my cards close to my chest and how to be patient because it's not always going to be that easy. It's not like you see it on TV. A case is not going to be solved like that, like you see on CSI. All investigators have to prepare themselves that they may be in that situation at some point. That can be so deflating when you just, you have things that just seem to be lining up and then that one piece of information comes in and just shatters that whole line where you just thought, this is it. Yeah, that's happened to me on a couple of occasions, and it just knocks the wind out of you. Um, so I handle things much more relaxed now. I still get excited because I want to see closure to the case, but I take a much more removed approach Let's get all the facts. Let's see where all this leads. And it, I think it just comes with the territory of learning to be a, a better investigator um, and being more seasoned in my craft as a private investigator. If you're going to bring anything to a legal conclusion, you've got to have those facts. One thing that I love about your book is even though the case is still unsolved, there's a measure of justice in that you didn't allow the perpetrator, the trolls, the conspiracy theorists to tell Melissa's story and let that be the end of it. So to me, there is a measure of justice when the family can see that their loved one's true story has been told. How important was that to you as you were writing this book and as you were doing your documentary? That was my entire goal. That's one of those moments where you start getting chill bumps because that was my goal. My goal was to gather all of the information together in one place so people could understand the complexity of the case. They could understand who Melissa was and why this crime was so horrific and what the truth is behind the crime that there are so many rumors and innuendo that's been built around this case and that that's not okay. I wanted to shatter that belief. And I think I did that successfully. We've seen over the years since the book has come out, 
so many leads coming through that point to things that we know are false. I touch on the book about how things have become legend in her case, and they have. Mm. Yeah. You know, I'll give an example of that. You know, there was one lead that I tracked down to a convicted drug dealer who was serving time in prison and was able to set up a video call with him, got that all worked out. And when I met him and realized he was 35 years old and he was in diapers when Melissa went missing and he was taking responsibility for the crime, that he was using that as a way to instill fear and you know, appear to be the tough guy. I think that's when it really kicked it in for me that I had to do something about it. And I, I feel like I did. I want to continue. To oh, just, you did. Well, you thank did. you. Thank you. I just, it means a lot to me that Melissa is remembered for who she really was and that we can kind of push everything else aside and say, no, this is what happened to her. And we still don't have the right information so we can bring this to justice. So my second goal was her case prior to me getting involved. There was nothing on the internet, nothing about Melissa Witt. And I thought, oh, no, no, this is not acceptable. And so that's been another goal. Let's get it out there. And now there's another documentary crew coming behind me that's going to do a major documentary on her. They've got a lot of funding. And I'm excited and proud because people care about her case now. I will have a link in the show notes for the documentary that LaDonna worked on. I encourage everybody to watch it. And I love that funding or no funding, you found a way to do it. I spent eight years of my life, but, you know, we figured it out. And, you know, I'm proud of it. I never dreamed I would get 100 people on YouTube to watch it. And when we hit the 250,000 mark on YouTube and got contacted by a distributor, I thought, wow, I didn't expect that. Within a month, we, we were picked up by Amazon Prime, and which that, that's a big deal because Amazon Prime does not pick up independent docs anymore. And that's another thing I'm proud of because Melissa's case is there and people all over the world have watched that documentary. Just over seven and a half million views at this point. So That is fantastic. And I always say with every case, somebody knows what happened. And it's usually more than one somebody. So if anybody's listening that knows anything about this case, there are numbers in the show notes that you can call. Even if you think it's not important, it may be that one piece that makes everything else suddenly make sense. Imagine it as a great big puzzle piece. And in the Wit case, we're missing maybe three or four small pieces of the big picture. And that's all it would take. And we can keep you confidential. We'll keep you protected. All of those things. But please come forward because it could be the smallest thing that will be the unraveling of her murderer. Share this episode with everybody you know in the Fort Smith area. The more people that we can get to see the documentary, to hear the podcast, someone's memory might be jogged or someone who has, for whatever reason, just not come forward. Maybe they're ready. And hearing about it today is the thing that will make them come forward. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, LaDonna, look up more of the great work you're doing or get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to go to LaDonnaHumphrey.com. You can contact me. I check those messages all day long and they come to my phone. It points to all the work that I've done and there'll be information about future work. But I respond to every message. I would encourage people to not be hesitant. Um, I love to hear from folks. 
If you love the book, I want to hear it. If you hated the book, I want to hear it. You know, I, contact me, especially if you have information that you think that will help the case. I would love to talk to you about that. You've got another book coming out, you said, in April? April 20th, Melissa's birthday. I have the oh. third and final series in this wit books connected by faith a deep dive into the case i talk extensively about who i believe murdered melissa witt oh well everybody that has been fascinated by today's episode be on the lookout for that coming up in april so thank you again ladonna for joining us and for sharing not only melissa's story with us but your own it has been fascinating thank you i hope that we stay in touch i would love to come on your show again Oh, let's do it. Okay, excellent. Bye-bye. Our Bible verse for this week comes from Acts 12, 21. This is from the NIV. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In this chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, he's urging believers to practice self-sacrifice, perform acts of service, and to practice love in action. I believe that one of the very best ways to practice love and action is summed up in that verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's always easy to give in to our human feelings and want to strike back when we see evil being done. I mean, that's really our natural inclination, right? Anybody out there that's a mom or a dad and you've seen somebody do something to hurt your child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Killing Melissa was evil. Spreading rumors about her was evil. And giving false leads in her case was evil. But we aren't supposed to strike back and follow the example of the world, are we? LaDonna followed what Christ taught us, sacrificial service. She has shown such love for Melissa and her family as she continues to search for Melissa's killer and overcome the evil that he did. Each one of us can follow that same example in our own way. I want to hear what ideas you come up with. Send me an email at lori at theunlovelytruth.com or message me on social media. I love it when people are willing to have these hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.